0: To the physical layer. And you keep those same practices as you move up the stack through your compute, through your storage, through your, your applications, your hypervisor, all that redundancy. Those same practices are built on the framework of having good physical diversity.
1: Hey, everybody, and welcome to the Incident Report presented by Quest Technology Management. I'm Paul Burke, Director of Technology Communications. Every week, I'm joined by VP of Sales and Partnerships, Adam Burke. The incident report brings you conversations with thought leaders, business innovators, and channel mavericks to help you stay productive and agile in a changing technology landscape. Hi, this is Paul from the future. I just wanted to pop in and remind you that there's a special short webinar, May 11th, featuring Six Clicks, Quest, and the City of Livermore, solving GRC tech procurement for state and local government. The event is free to attend and an invaluable conversation about the complexities and challenges that U.S., state, and local government departments face, not only in procurement and policy, but in navigating the complex regulatory environments. Link to register for this free event is in the description. Now, back to your regularly scheduled incident report. Welcome back to the Incident Report. I'm your host, Paul Burke. I should say I'm one of the two hosts across from me, Adam Burke, sitting over there. Adam, how are you doing?
0: Good, Paul. Excited to be here. Always excited to join you on the incident report and jump into today. Ready to get going. Episode 15. We've been doing this, Adam, for three months. Three whole months, also known in the business where they pay for play as a quarter. We've been doing this for a full quarter, which is fantastic.
1: If this is your first episode, what you should know about the incident report is we are here to share. Look, there is a lot of data out there. There's a lot of information, and we're sifting through. We're looking for articles and information we think you need to know. Up first, we want to talk about a story that comes out of CyberScoop, how the French fiber optic cable attacks accentuate critical infrastructure vulnerabilities. This is a valuable story to talk about because infrastructure, I don't think, Adam, and correct me if I'm wrong, I don't think it gets the amount of attention it deserves because, in lack of a better term, not a sexy topic.
0: Yeah, and it's kind of it's kind of taken for granted that it's just going to be there. I mean, everyone hears about the backhoe fade and, like, cutting off a, a leg of the Internet that's connecting a corporate location or, you know, diversity of paths in and out. This cable system that was basically intentionally cut – knocked off most of of France from the internet for a significant amount of time. It's physical, right? We always you and I talk about this all the time around digital assets, around software, around zeros and ones. This is the actual fiber optic cable that lights the path for that software to even exist. So, securing the physical layer, that first level of infrastructure, critically important We get involved in this type of thing at Quest oftentimes when we're helping organizations build data centers, build out in a third-party data center. One of the things you always hear as we're walking through providing a data center tour in Northern California is, tell me about your diverse path out of the site. Tell me about your vault. Tell me about your facilities. What do you have as far as getting data offsite and getting it out. This is one of those times where, I mean, they knocked out an entire country for a while and, and things going on geopolitically overseas right now. Getting knocked off the internet, every, having everybody down in your country at one time, that could, I mean, I don't know how long the United States could go. We know that in the United States, you're basically nine meals away from chaos from a food stability standpoint, and within a nine meal period of time, you can run out of food and have chaos. I don't know how long our population would go without having access to the internet on a country scale. I don't want to find out, but the French found out that a significant amount of their physical infrastructure or their internet was completely knocked offline due to a physical breach, which which is new. It's something different. The link to the CyberScoop article is in the description,
1: and there's a picture That shows a neatly trimmed fiber optic cable that was dug up. They sliced it and that took out France. Adam, are we like literally a sharp pair of scissors away from losing internet connection?
0: (laughs) They, you know, they cut both lines, right? So that was a loop. They cut both sides. It was a little bit more of a coordinated attack. You got to know where this infrastructure is. But most of the folks who built out during the last dot-com in 2000, the boom and bust of that cycle, people built out physical infrastructure along utility lines. They built it out along railroad lines. You had a bunch of people in the oil industry put it along gas pipelines. They would lay fiber along those types of existing infrastructure. So when people are digging up the ground or laying aerial fiber, people wanted access to the Internet, and a lot of people built out different installations around to, to kind of support the fiber optic network of the United States. And you got the cables run across the Pacific and across the Atlantic. Those points of entry are pretty secure, but there are places in Ashburn, there are places in, in Los Angeles and in San Francisco that if those physical hubs go down, a lot of the internet to in the United States is gone. There are organizations that would want to target those physical assets. And this is a case in point. They get dug up and targeted by specific groups um, that can really upset a country or a specific region for sure. Are you watching this season, Better Call Saul? I am not. I I fell off the Better Call Saul bandwagon after his That one was a little weird. And I kind of stopped following along with it. The reason I bring it up, because there is a
1: underground bunker, it won't say anything else, in the episode I just watched, and obviously they didn't want the government to know about it. And these fiber lines, when people are laying fiber, are these kind of kept secure and secretive where they're at? Do only a handful of people know, or is it pretty easily readily available knowledge?
0: It's pretty readily available. There's actually organizations that publish it and do location services. So there's their tools and this is the double-edged sword of information, right? You want to be able to let your clients know exactly what fiber and carriers they have available to them at their addresses, right? So they have these 50 sites. How do I get the best deal on, on carrier services? Let me show you this cool application that maps out all the main fiber runs in your area and tells you exactly where they are. Oh, great. That's really cool. It's very helpful. Also, a little bit dangerous if you're a bad actor. You basically have a map of um, all the fiber in the ground. Now, it's not all the fiber. There's probably, there's dark fiber, and there are private lines, and there's things that are only available, that are provided by the municipality or or the power company or things like that that aren't necessarily published. But yeah, if you want to know where all the telecommunication vaults are in a city, it's not hard to find out. Wow. I had no idea. Well, as long as we're going pop culture, I mean, the the last Die Hard, I think we've talked about this before. I'm a huge Die Hard fan. And that one was a fire sale scenario where they basically took down the internet for the United States and it talked about data centers. It talked about one of the ways they found out where the bad guys were going was they traced the activity and they correlated it with data center uh, being generated from servers. So geeks like us who know this kind of stuff is like, that's kind of a cool plot twist. I don't know if it actually worked, but... It was a cool storyline they used. Hey, we're going to talk, we're going to find out what the bad guys are going to be doing based on heat signatures of how much compute's being utilized in some random social security database, which is cool, but you tie that all to the physical infrastructure that's out there and what we saw, what happened in France, it is vulnerable. So something we help organizations do that I think is good is from a disaster recovery standpoint, that physical asset of your connectivity and how those carriers are coming in on separate or the same facilities. When I say the same facilities, I mean, you could have diverse carriers coming in on the same fiber or the same, the same conduit into your building. So if you have a backhoe or someone's digging in your area and you don't have diverse paths or diverse facilities, when I say facilities, separate physical facilities leaving your physical premise, you can get cut off right? So that diversity of pass out, it could be wireless. It could be alternate pass in. It could be just building a redundant path. We're a data center operator. So we know, hey, it's very important that you have as many diverse paths out and in for your customers as possible and as redundant as possible. And that's something we strongly discuss when we're doing our disaster recovery conversations and our business continuity conversations. It starts at the it starts at the physical it starts with the physical layer and kind of you keep those same practices as you move up the stack through through your compute through your storage through your your applications your hypervisor all that redundancy that's those same practices are built on the framework of having good physical diversity
1: every episode of the incident report adam we learn a little bit more about your vast knowledge and your deep love of diehard
0: it is deep it is deep i don't know if it was cuz it was the first rated r movie that dad let us watch back when we were kids nakatomi towers it's just it was a magical time in a eight-year-old's life
1: <laughs> adam the second story we need to talk about is channel e to e or the website is channel e, to e dot com, and it's four ways intelligent alerting can transform your msp business
0: yeah i love this article because in the second sentence they used the word cacophony And anyone that can layer the word cacophony in an article, I think, deserves at least a five-minute read of your time. I uh, I appreciated that. I appreciated that being thrown in there within the first sentence.
1: There is an interesting statistic in the article that states 82% of incoming alerts are just noise and not actionable.
0: Yeah, that's a huge number. Uh, Approximately eight out of every ten alerts that come in are you can't do anything with them. So, so what benefit is actually bringing to your business? We, you know, at at Quest we we built out a practice. We've been monitoring and alerting systems since 2000, and we have a division of our company. I was just on a kickoff call with a new client today, and I think this is a fantastic. Article because it's short is to the point and it's really about getting the information you need and reducing all the extra stuff that isn't necessarily helping you make a, a decision around either from a security standpoint or an operational standpoint. And we build we have a division that all they do is is update and make moves and changes to tune different alerts from the thousands and thousands of different systems we see every day. And when you can automate that, when you can automate that, that reduction in alerts and kind of tearing those out so you really know what's important, it comes to the top of your stack very quickly, it helps you manage diverse systems because you can't see everything all the time unless you know what you're looking for and you can help help with that alert management. So it's a cool article, quick read, but really helps kind of evangelize the whole idea of how you monitor and update your alerts.
1: So it sounds like tuning takes time, but ultimately you're saving a great deal of your time and sanity by tuning alerts. Finally, we have one more article and this is about Avaya and Microsoft Azure. Avaya partners with Microsoft to deliver OneCloud solutions on Microsoft Azure. This article comes from ChannelFutures.com. Again, link in the description. The new partnership builds on Avaya's long-standing relationship with Microsoft. An expanding partnership between Avaya and Microsoft promises to increase organizational productivity and customer engagement. It pairs the Avaya OneCloud Collaboration Services portfolio with Microsoft Azure. Avaya says its customers will be able to deploy a hybrid, public, or private cloud environment. The partnership builds on the success of Avaya OneCloud Contact Center as a service, that is a mouthful, also known as CCAAS, much easier to say, delivered on Azure. David Austin is Senior Vice President, Strategy and Alliances at Avaya. Our strategic partnership with Microsoft is an important milestone in our continued transformation to a cloud business model, Austin said. The global scale of Microsoft helps ensure that our joint customers rapidly deploy Avaya One Cloud solutions in any cloud environment of their choice with speed, agility, and cost competitiveness. This represents a tremendous opportunity for customers to accelerate their journey to the cloud and a tremendous opportunity to Avaya to expand our go-to-market reach through the co-selling efforts we have identified
0: with our trusted partner. So Avaya is a juggernaut in the collaboration space, and they got CCAS, right? So a contact center as a service. They have some pretty powerful tools. Some of the largest contact centers and automation platforms out there are on are on the Avaya platform, and they're trying to figure out how to stick with the competitive landscape out there of everyone moving to cloud. Systems, right? So back up 15 years, but people have 15-20 years. People have on-premise PBX, on-premise phone systems. They're hosting their own servers on site. We did this. We did a lot of this with Cisco. We've incorporated Avaya into our solution offerings and, and, and are building out on-premise things. 15-20 years ago, now a lot of people. I'm, I'm always surprised by how much of the market still isn't unhosted voice, but the, but the trend is moving there. So I, I think there's almost. I want to say it's almost. 80 to 70 or 80% of the market is still not on hosted voice. Why do you think 30% of the market remains not on hosted voice? I, they just haven't made the transition yet. So they they have a system that works. Everyone uses their phone every day. A lot of people are, are leveraging soft phones and their cell phones and mm-hmm. pushing calls and communicating in different ways. But the trend is, is known and moving and the Via platform, they're... It's pretty interesting because they're making it easy for people to stick with what they've already invested in, but migrate it to a cloud of their choosing. There's a great, there's a great bumper sticker that says it's a sad face and it's like a little cloud. And it's like the cloud is just someone else's computer. And it, it really is. The cloud is literally just someone else's computer. You used to have servers in your server room, then you had servers in your data center. Now you have servers in someone else's data center that you don't own. Azure is one of the largest hyperscalers that has a ton of capability and a ton of servers out in the cloud. They got all sorts of other kind of cool ways to to do things, but at the end of the day, they're a server platform that's on the Microsoft stack. Microsoft controls a significant amount of the industry from an operating system and, and productivity suite standpoint. They've invested heavily in teams. A lot of people are moving their organizations to teams, but you still have to have that contact center that smart integrated platform that helps get the right call to the right customer service representative, or puts you in a queue. I mean, everyone hates being on hold. So how do you manage that customer experience? Avaya is a leader in that, right? They have, they have amazing call center capabilities. So really what they're doing is they're taking their proprietary software and they've created a sell with strategy with, with, the, one of the largest gorillas in the technology market how do you it, it, it's a smart move right so you they partnered up with i believe ring central for very for their ucas offering so they made it easy for people with avaya on premise to move to unified communications with ring central and now they also so ring, and ring central is a leader in the hosted space right they're one of the the largest people out there in the hosted space so they avaya struck that partnership And now they're saying, hey, our CCAS application, our call center application, you can have that in a hybrid state, like so you can host your servers locally at your point of business or wherever your call center is, or you can move that into the Azure cloud and have your call flow through the Microsoft world. And oh, by the way, all the thousands upon thousands of Microsoft partners out there now have the ability to sell with you. So you're tapping into that last sentence you read, sell with our partner. That's a billion dollar thought because now you're tapping into all the folks like Quest and like others who are MSPs or CSPs or new customer experience evangelists who sell millions of dollars with a Microsoft. Hey, would you like some fries with that? Here's your Avaya CCAS. Right. So there's they're making moves there and they're partnering and they're trying to figure out how do we get our proprietary software to the market and partnering up with Microsoft is not a bad path to do that. Adam, I love the idea of having a billion dollar thought. They're out there. They're out there. The the billion dollar thoughts. It's not the thoughts. The billion dollar thoughts are easy. It's the billion dollar folks who can execute. Those are Ah. The billion dollar thoughts are a dime a dozen. Those are, those aren't that important. It's the people who can actually put them together and get stuff done. Good point.
1: That brings us to the end of the episode. Adam, any exciting plans this week? Anything you're watching? Anything you think people should watch?
0: I I'm uh, I'm going to nerd out a little bit here. I was huge into Halo when I was a college lad. Loved the love the LAN parties with the multiple Xboxes on the original Halo. And I know everyone I know a lot of people don't like it. But I'm really liking the Halo series. I'm enjoying it. I'm digging Master Chief, man. I'm liking it. Hey, there you go. Join Adam on his island. <laughs> <laughs> no one else likes it. I probably shouldn't say that publicly, but it's probably just because there were a lot of times where I was supposed to be writing essays and, and doing uh, whatever an econ major is supposed to be doing at, at Davis, but I was played a lot of Halo. So it was tugging at the old heartstrings.
1: Nice. And uh, like I mentioned, I'm into Better Call Saul right now, so... That's my recommendation, a little halo, a little better call Saul. We'll see you next week. Until then, Adam, we'll see you next week. And Adam and everybody listening, have a great week.
0: Thanks, Paul. Have a good week, everybody.
1: Thanks so much for listening. The Incident Report is brought to you by Quest Technology Management. With over 40 years of experience, Quest is a leading technology integrator working seamlessly with your staff and systems to achieve your IT goals. Learn more about everything they do at questsys.com. And if you have questions or suggestions for the podcast, you can always email Adam and myself at the incident report at We hope you have a great week, and we'll see you next time.